Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. James Oller, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. This is going to be fun. Okay. Good. You, you said that like you don't believe me. Yeah, I believe you. All right. Right on. So I guess we should start I wouldn't with... Have, I wouldn't have come if I thought it was not going to be a good time. Yeah, so. right on, right on. Well, we're having a beer, and I, I do whatever the uh, guest drinks. If, okay. If the guest wants to drink, then we're drinking. Uh, all right, so I guess we should start with you and I know each other from the Virginia Army National Guard. I think you might have been a first lieutenant, and I was a second lieutenant when we met. Does that sound about right? Uh, yeah. I don't really... <clears throat> I think you were, in, we, you were in the 183rd. Yeah. Oh yeah, you were the. Um, I was the engineer. You were the brigade engineer assigned to the battalion, so I probably like met you at like a battalion staff meeting where we were being tortured. Those for sta- having staff to be meeting there. or training meeting or something. Yeah. It was every single month at Dove Street, and yeah. w- we would go till midnight sometimes. Yeah, and I'm not sure we were accomplishing a whole lot. Whoo, <laughs> Colonel Boris, or were you? There yeah, it was, Bo- Boris? It was Boris. Yeah, okay. and then uh, I can't remember who was behind him. It was his XO at the time. Um. I remember. Uh, I remember. Simpson was the yeah. XO. It was Simpson. It was Simpson the X one. Yeah, but I like most of the guys in that unit. <laughs> <laughs> By most, I mean anywhere from fifty one percent to like seventy percent. Yeah, it's all good. All right, where are you from, James? I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Are you? And you're proud of that? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. A Bear, are you a Bears fan? I'm not. I'm not really any professional team fan, but I mean, I grew up watching the Bears and the. Cubs, not much for the White Sox, but well, do so. you have to pick one or the other, right? You can't be both. Uh, I don't know because I don't have. I'm not a fan of you know. I don't own any team, so I don't know if you can. The Cubs were on my side of town, right? Okay. And so on my way to high school, you go by the Wrigley Field, and so if you didn't feel like going to school, me and my friends could stop and go pretend like we like baseball and watch a game. You, so. you, you'd rather go to a baseball game at Wrigley than go to school some days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense to me. Yeah, what, were you a Bulls fan? Uh, you know what? Early in my life, I didn't actually even pay attention to professional basketball. It just didn't. Wasn't a thing. Or what didn't register? We're talking about what seven, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, yeah. All right, right on. All right, but you ended up in Richmond. How old were you when you came here? I got what? to Richmond. Well, actually, let me back up. Sorry. Okay. What did you do in your spare time besides go to Wrigley Field? Like on weekends, how were you spending your time when you were like ten, eleven years old? Um, I guess it depends on what side of town I lived on. When I lived on the north side, kind of the middle class side of Chicago, um, I had like a group of friends and we would spend all of our time at this place called Rogers Park. Mm. And so it's where you went to play basketball or um, I was thinking we didn't play baseball. We played like stickball, like stickball, like the, the strike zone on a on a. Uh, concrete wall behind you. Um, so you didn't you didn't need a catcher, right? Didn't need yeah. a catcher. We just spent most of our time hanging out at the park. It was like a good community park. Uh, maybe go to the YMCA. Um, when I lived on the south side of Chicago, I stayed my ass in the house. <laughs> <laughs> James, for the, for the for the uninformed, <laughs> why would you do that? Because uh, the south side was a, a pretty tough neighborhood. Um, you know, low income. Nothing. Nothing good was happening outside. So, um, yeah. Did, did Did your parents tell you to stay inside? My mom. I lived with my mom yeah. for. I spent my time between my mom and my dad, and so they didn't have to tell you. Like if you didn't want to find yourself in trouble, you just gravitated to 
not hanging outside too much. So. Well, that's that's no no fun because the way I grew up, I I went outside all the time. Didn't have to sweat yeah. it, but I didn't grow up in the south. Yeah, so. so it just depends on different neighborhoods. And one neighborhood, you know, it was a really sm- you know small knit neighborhood. I think for maybe you know first through fourth grade, you know, all the kids know each other up and down the street. You play football in the street till the cars come. Blah blah. But then you move neighborhoods, and you're like, mm, these kids don't want to play football <laughs> in the middle of the street. So this probably yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And it, I guess it's, yeah, you're good. I, I guess it's still like that there. I imagine. I guess it depends on neighborhoods. I mean, it's probably a little bit like that. Every every city's probably got that same kind of yeah. You put, put more than a couple hundred thousand people in one place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So you moved to Richmond though, and you were what? Just starting high school around the time you came. Right. So to I did my um, <clears throat> uh, my mom and dad were separated. My mom was a PhD student in sociology. She got a job at VCU. Oh, okay. She said, hey, I'm going to Richmond. I had gotten into a pretty prestigious high school in Chicago, Lane Technical High School. It was like a, like a governor's school back in the day. I was like, yeah, hey, I'm going to Lane Tech. <laughs> so I stayed in Chicago with my dad. I was fascinated with the military, though. Like I had always, we had just at my retirement, we just had this discussion. Your retirement from the military. My retirement from the military. Um, As a little kid, I only ever wanted to be like three things, a cowboy or Indian, till somebody explained to me that didn't really exist anymore. Unless you wanted to go way out west. A Secret Service agent, till somebody explained to me like they have to throw themselves in front of the bullet. I'm like, what? (laughs) That sounds like a bad job. Right. Or a soldier. I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. So in high school... I was just in love with JROTC. Like, that's what I went to school for, JROTC. So all my other classes, I would get, like, you know, drafting, D, algebra, D, JROTC, A. I was like, hey, this is. And so while my mom was here in Richmond, she sent me a newspaper clipping of a free public military school in Richmond. I told my dad, hey, love you. See you later. And so I spent one year in high school in Chicago. And then got on a plane and came to Richmond to go to Franklin Military School in Richmond, which was a all was a is a public public high school in the uh, in Richmond in the city in the city yeah all JROTC all military now my mom didn't give me some of the details like it was an alternative school in the city uh, so yeah, kids yeah. that like had made it at other schools and this was their like alternate. Um, she could have told me. I probably wouldn't have cared. So I got there and... Well, hold on. We got to back up. got to back up. Junior ROTC. In, in Lane Tech, you had to, what, take a test or take a bunch of tests to get in or you just had to have a certain... I think you had had like some kind of standardized test scores or something to get in or something like that. I mean, you had to be smart enough to do well enough. Um, <clears throat> I would say that I kind of blossomed. So um, probably, I'm not going to remember ages. Early in my life, um, I didn't I didn't know how to read. Um. Literally, I just made it through school somehow, not really knowing how to read. I mean, I could read, but not very you well. Could, could you say the words? You I could say the words, but I wasn't into reading, didn't read very well. You, so, weren't, you weren't comprehending because you didn't right. care to comprehend. Yeah. Um, so one year, um, I like went on a, uh, a summer vacation to Ohio to go visit some family members or something. So I had a flute and a guitar. I was in the band. Okay. That's, and, a, that's, you know, a, that's a heck of a combo right. there. Well, I didn't know how to play the guitar, but the flute I could play. And, you know, when I got back from that summer vacation, my mom said, hey, someone broke into the apartment while we had taken you to the train station. So the TV's gone. Guitar, flute, all that stuff is gone. So the only thing in the house 
is a radio, AM radio that I used to listen to, like NPR stories. I can't remember the name, but they, you know, she have uh, stories on. And then my mom said, "Hey, there's these books." <laughs> so um, the first book I ever actually read, I probably was in the seventh or eighth. Man, probably like the seventh grade was The Hobbit. You mean cover to cover? Cover to cover, read it, and, and, you, got, and, and I, you got into it. I was like, man, I need some more of this. And then standardized test came soon thereafter. Okay. I scored off the scale. They said, hey, you can come to this magnet school. Okay. So, all right. And then, so junior ROTC, look, I, I did ROTC in college, and it, it was a lot of drill and ceremony, a lot of marching around. And I, I frankly, not a huge fan of the ROTC experience because you're at a liberal arts school, right? Right. right. And you're, you're 18 to 22 years old. Junior ROTC, you're a lot younger, but were you into drill and ceremony and, and all of that? Yeah, I just like the structure of it. Like, I was fascinated with shining my shoes. Like, I don't think we had fatigues. It was uh, on JROTC day. It was like class A or class B, so shining my shoes and learning how to tie my tie. I couldn't stand any of that stuff, man. <laughs> I, just, I was just, you know, and then to <clears throat> as a freshman, you can, like, take a test and get promoted to corporal. I was, I was just all into that, just... It was something about the structure. Like, it was pretty simple to succeed. Someone gave you a list. Do these 10 things. To Seems pretty straightforward. Straightforward, easy. I didn't have to be <laughs> I didn't have to be super smart. I could just, you know, study harder than other people. So, it's pretty. And, and you were mature enough in high school that you were studying harder by the time you went to Franklin. Uh, I, you know, still pretty immature, but I loved it so much that. It was maybe a passing fancy for other kids. And for me, um, it just wasn't. At Franklin, we didn't have sports teams. It was... Because the school was that small? Yeah. um, I mean, because remember, when I got there, it was was only the second year of the school. So you only had freshmen and sophomores. It was an idea, essentially, the time you got there. So what do we have? Maybe 120 students. If you wanted to play sports and if you were good enough for sports... You had to go to another high school, and um, we were down the street from George With. Okay. So we had some kids that would go down there to do wrestling or football, but I had time for that. It was too many drill teams to. And you loved it. I loved it. So you'd rather do drill team stuff than go play football or basketball. Right. Well, some of it's got to do, you know, in retrospect, some of it has to do with someone has to tell you, hey, maybe you should go play football or go run track. At Lane, I ran track just because someone said, hey, maybe you should go run track. I ran track. I. I played football for a little while, and I was like, hey, this getting hit stuff is. <laughs> um, but maybe if someone had encouraged me or told me about it, but drill team, we, so when I first got there, you know, I was the new guy. I wasn't I wasn't on any drill team. I'd, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't on the in crowd. So yeah. I spent my sophomore year making friends and building my own drill teams. Oh, really? Right. So, like, like not school sanctioned. Well, it, everything was school sanctioned. You just had to have enough people. And so, like, okay. so, so drill teams consisted of, you know, there was a platoon marching drill team, there was a squad arm marching drill team, there was a two man drill team. So, I just found freshmen or sophomores that were kind of like the, I'll call it, you know, Fat Albert and the Funky Bunch that wasn't part of the in crowd. Second string. Right. And I built my own, um, (laughs) I built my own drill teams to compete. So for, you know, my sophomore year, we were probably like always second best to those guys. But, um, you know, just gave me a, something to do, a sense of belonging that was kind of like my own. So yeah, pretty. And those are your first friends in Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. 
Were you living in the city? I guess you were. Yeah, I lived yeah. Um, over by the, oh, off of Westover Hills Boulevard by the 99 Cent Movie Theater. Okay. Like right down the street from George with High School. Yeah, okay. Nice. All right, so uh, high school, you were known as the drill and ceremony guy? Every, no, that was just, um, in high school, so high school leadership and JROTC is different. So, I mean, it's a military school. We wear uniforms all day long. We have formations once a day. There's parade and there's leadership positions. And so, um, how do you get a leadership position? Well, at some point, someone in charge does something that gets them kicked out of the leadership position. So, you know, the, the, the leaders of the school initially were the first class. So, you're talking guys that when we were seniors were probably... 19 years old right. so a first sergeant at my school was probably 19 he was probably six foot two 180 to 190 so leadership was hey if you don't do what i tell you to do in formation i got you know i got some five knuckles for you so you learn pretty quickly like you had to be able to kind of enforce your so i was known as I'd fight anybody. <laughs> it's James. Is you're, you're not a big dude. It's Zoller's way, or the or the or the fight is ensuing, and that just you, became, you either get in line or you're or we're fine. right. That's how it is. You're going, and you know, the obvious answer is most people didn't really feel like fighting or weren't interested in fighting. I, you know, persuasive arguments and leading by example, those just were not, <laughs> not the tools in 17, 18, and 19 yeah. year old kids. Yeah. Where did you pick that up? Is that um, just natural for you? Just natural. Something about, hey, if you want to be in charge around here, you got to be ready to. You got to be tough. You got to be tough. You got to be ready to go to go to blows. And um, by my senior, and just because, I mean, just think about that. The. Um, you know, my hero at high school was this guy named Roy Reed. I mean, he was like six foot tall. He was a big guy and like you wanted to do it. But, you know, Roy got in trouble by my senior year. I was the battalion commander. Oh, yeah. I was the man. About. Yeah. And, you know, one day some freshman, you know, was mouthing off to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. After I beat him down, I got suspended. It's the first time I had ever been suspended. I got suspended because I wouldn't stop when they told me to. I got suspended. I got reduced in rank. Do, you, do your kids know this story? No, they don't care about any of it. They might listen to this. Um, so I got reduced in rank. And so in my senior year, um, this was probably within the first three months of school. I spent the rest of the year. I think I got like demoted. I'm not joking. I think I got demoted back to corporal or something. Oof. I spent the rest of my senior year trying to earn enough rank so that it looked like I had been at the school for four years. And, and you've been rank. trying. Yeah. Right. So that was uh, my senior year was pretty. So the teachers and instructors in the administration, they didn't tolerate f fighting. No, no, no. Because we had a. um um. At the time, the school was the teachers either had prior military experience or like in the summertime before you became a teacher there, you went to like a mini boot camp and the teachers wore uniforms. So mm -hmm. there was no um, and we had a senior army instructor, a retired lieutenant colonel. We had two E8s, an armor. These are all guy. these are all army guys. All Everything's, army guys. It's all and, army based. At yes. The school. Yeah. And uh, the, the senior army instructor, his name was Lieutenant Colonel. Archibald 
Cyril Archibald Hawkins, and he didn't take no. <laughs> that's a great name. No, no stuff. So um, that's that was high school. I mean, I, I could tell you, um, I didn't focus on grades. I like I watched. We were talking kids studying. I don't think I took books home. I just kind of. Your mom was going for a PhD. Yeah, but she, I don't know, for some reason, I don't think she was really paying attention. I don't think she realized it. Because if you call the teacher, oh, James is, you know, making it through. He's got A in this class, some B's and some C's. It was. You're passing. I was passing. And that was, um, you know, for some of my classmates, just trying to get them to come to school was probably a a challenge. So Right. If the average kid's showing up getting A's, B's and C's, everything's good. So. Well, all right. Right on. So, uh. You enjoyed your time there. I did, yeah. Um, because fact, I, right, because I, I, it reinforced like, hey, I like this military stuff. So the the problem that's funny is my goal was when I graduated high school, I was going to the Marines. That was my plan. Mm. You know, I didn't. I you know, I probably never went to career counseling. I'm going to the Marine Corps. There's no need for us to talk. I did not know that about you. And so people said, okay, somehow. <laughs> And like the last two months of high school, I said, hey, I, th- I think I need to go to college. And mm. my mom was like, well, don't know where that's happening at because, you know, look at your grades. Look at your, <laughs> dude, look at your SAT score. Your transcript right, didn't look like, great. Like, yeah. So, and oh, by the way, you don't have any money. And so I spent like the first couple of months after graduation, you know, working some jobs. I think I worked for like this janitorial service and I realized pretty quickly like this isn't gonna make it yeah so one day in august i told my mom hey this recruiter i went to the recruiting station which used to be downtown richmond and uh i walked into the building and the army was on one side and the marine corps was on the other side and i looked at the door the marine corps said join the marine corps for two years and earn five thousand dollars for college the army door said, join the army for two years and then earn $15,000. I was like, hey, Marine Corps. That, that's just a business decision. That's all that see is. You like, see you later, like 5015 way too easy. I mean, one's three times bigger than the other. <laughs> right. One. So um, that night I told my mom, hey, this recruiter's coming to the house. I was 17. I need you to sign so I can take the ASVAB test and join the army. And uh, she did. So I went to MEPS and... I got a like a great ASVAB score or whatever. So like I had a, like a GT score of like 120. You could do whatever you want to do in the yeah. army, James. What do you want to do? My answer was, what's leaving the soonest? <laughs> <laughs> what's leaving to like? I literally thought you could go what, and join and leave tomorrow. What gets me out of Richmond the fastest? Right, I, yeah. because the sooner I leave, the sooner I get back. And so they were like, oh, you could be an air traffic controller. I was like, oh man, that's cool. Yeah. When does that leave? January. Mm, no. What's leaving? Because this is like July, August time. This is August time frame of 84. What's leaving the soonest? And they said the thing, and this is in August. Like, I want to leave tomorrow. Um, What's leaving the soonest is this thing called 11 X-ray. I was like, give it to me. I don't care where it is. I'm taking this 11 X-ray, which turned out to just be infantry. But uh, not Bravo. So they don't tell you what you're going to be. Oh, you don't know if you're going to be Bravo, Charlie. Charlie, until you get to AIT. So in... Um, sometime in late September, October, I got on a bus and went to Fort Benning. Mm. Did you have any idea what you were getting into? No, I didn't have a clue. Because it uh, wasn't junior ROTC. It wasn't junior ROTC. So there were some things that I knew, like how to stand at attention, how to march. Well, one of the things that's funny is, um, 
because of JROTC, I was immediately promoted to PFC. Oh, okay. So, in theory, I was never really a private. I mean, I started off as a PFC. So you made it to E three right away, right away. And so I got down to basic training and AIT, and I I kind of knew like you just gotta suffer through this. It's not hard, and so that's um, um, it was pretty. Um, I mean, I'll never forget the first day of basic training when we jump off the the bus. Was it a bus or like a cattle? We car? were on a bus because I'll never forget. It's like a school bus, and we were all piled on, and the drill sergeants came on the front, and there were three of them, and they were like, you got 15 seconds to get your nasty asses off this bus. And I was like, well, how are we supposed to get off if they're like, and they were like coming down the aisles and climbing over the seats. I was like, hey, you can't, I can't get out the window with my bag. It's only, so I mean, like people were piling. It was, it was hilarious to me, and I'll never forget. It's hilarious that, to everybody. The, I jumped out the back of the bus, and when I hit the ground, some kid at the PX back when we were in the in the reception station had gone and bought like this box of um, writing materials that had like paper and envelopes, and it was infantry blue. And I'll never forget when my feet first hit the ground, infantry blue writing stuff, papers and envelopes were like raining down on me <laughs> <laughs> in the air, and I was like, "Oh man!" And so you know, first day of basic training. Somebody decided to, I mean, my last name's Zoller. So someone decided to write my name on the back of the paper. So for, you know, six hours, the drill sergeants didn't believe I was supposed to be there, all this kind of stuff. So that was, that was basic training. It was just get through it. Just. All right. That's the beginning. Did you have a, a memorable story? Um, Besi- no. Besides that one? No, I mean, the other things that happened, like I was always shocked at how kids just got fed up with it so much that they like just disappeared in the night i'm thinking like i mean like they just, where qu- do you, they just quit right? they just quit but i mean they like get out of their beds they pack some little bag or something and then they just they just walk off they just walk off and i was always amazed like I, in, the, in my back of my mind I was like that takes some guts like you don't even know where you're going <laughs> yeah it's weird right the guts it takes to do that versus is, is the guts you all you need to stay right yeah. So we, I guess, you know, the army was getting big at the time. So we were out in this place called Harmony Church, which wasn't the normal boot camp, play, uh, boot camp place. You know, we stayed in World War II barracks. There is, you know, it was just a comedy of, you know, learning early that having a last name that starts with a Z in the army, you're in for some pain because every, <laughs> everything's alphabetical, yeah. whether it's push-ups or whatever. And like, why are you always late? You guys don't get to Z till like, <laughs> you know, there's no need to be early. So, um, But then you learn that you got to be like 45 minutes early because your direct supervisor wants you there 15 minutes early and his yeah. boss will. Yeah, it's silly. So that was basic training AIT and um, – I got stationed Wh- at... Which AIT did you go to? I went to 11 Charlie. Yeah, okay. So, um, learned how to be a mortarman. Um, loved it. Um, what what, what uh, mortars did they have back then? At the time, it was 81 and 4 Deuce. Mm. And I learned to hate the 4 Deuce because it was so heavy. I didn't like not like that at, at, at all. So, um, yeah, I loved being 11 Charlie. It was just the... Um, I don't know, it was just so cool to be... Dropping rounds down. There's, there's something about dropping around in it. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. So. All right. So, how long were you active? Two years. I got stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington. Oof. And um, what was out there then? The Ninth Infantry Division. Not, from, not around anymore, right? The gone. Yeah. yeah. The 
the Girl Scout cookie patch. Um, so I tell, you know, like I tell my kids or I tell people like that was really my college experience being 18 and on active duty yeah. where um, you get up in the morning and you run PT. And then you spend all day sitting around doing nothing, watching soap operas or and then at five o'clock when it's time to get off, they find all this work that needed to be done. <laughs> they used to just drive me crazy. Like, where has this work been all day long? And um, um, I didn't drink until I showed up at my active duty post. OK, I mean, it was so stressful. I mean, I just like I couldn't believe like this was the life that this. And so there was an NCO club like right across the street from our barracks. And this older specialist was like, hey, y'all go in here with me. And um, at the time, you could still drink on post. It was, all, it was all ranks and, and you only had to be 18 to drink. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, my first drink I had was a Long Island iced tea. I was like, this <laughs> is good. <laughs> oh, man, this That's is That's the good. wrong day to drink first. <laughs> So, um, it's too good actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent my active duty time, like just incredible of, of how disorganized it was. And, you know, just, it was just incredibly time wasting. And the the army was coming out of the Vietnam war. It had been roughly 10 years, right? A decade. And I think they were trying to get their bearings. Yeah. In a lot of ways. You were in 84 to 86. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the big thing when I got to my unit, it was preparing to go be part of the um, MFO in Sinai. So mm. when I got to my unit, that's what we were doing. I mean, when I first got to my unit, the first thing we did was we were the unit was doing expert infantry badge stuff. So here I am, a guy that just graduated AIT. You got to go for your expert infantry And you badge. were doing Charlie. You weren't doing well, even right. Even the Charlies could get it. But I was like, I don't even know what expert infantry is. You know, I'm out lost doing land nav and it was just kind of hilarious but i spent my time making it through the work week i think my friends and i we started partying on thursday nights <laughs> thursday you know there was a set club you could go to friday s- sunday just be back in the barracks so you could wake up on time to go to pt on monday that was that was my life literally partying Thursday through Sunday. Um, I mean, the movie Stripes came out in 79, so it wasn't... Yeah. It was five uh, years after Stripes. Uh, let's see, what else happened? Like, um, my first roommate was a guy that went... So we went as a cohort. All the 11 Charlies from AIT, we all went to the same duty station. Really? Yes. And so <clears throat> my roommate was this guy named James Green. James Green was 26. And he was like the older brother I never had. So when we got in our room, he had a stereo... And he was a man. He was a man. Like he had a um, Ford Courier truck. He taught me how to drive a stick shift. Um, he was your older. He brother. introduced me to the the Doors and Jim Crow. I was like, I never heard this stuff before. Like, what is this? Like, and I never heard that kind of music before. Jim Morrison, you're talking. Jim about. Morrison. Yeah. yeah. So, um, that he's like my older brother. Till I got like, okay, I don't need an older brother. I need like some guys to party with. <laughs> <laughs> so I got some other roommates. Well, so. that's, that's what uh, 19, 20-year-old kids do, right? Yeah. Then I got, I got, let's see, I mean, my kids will laugh at this. And then I got hooked up with some guys in my unit that um, they play Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, what, what? Is, what is this stuff? So um, depending on how I felt for a weekend, um, 
I might not go out for the weekend. I might go spend all weekend you were, playing. You were D and D back in the mid eighties. I would rather play D and D than um, play craps. I'm, I'm, I am learning a ton about you. Today. Yes. Matter of fact, my um, my oldest son, I still I think I still have my D and D books at the house. They're in like pristine condition, and my son tried to sell them. I was like, you can't no, sell you can't that. Sell what are you that? doing? So yeah. <laughs> they're probably worth a lot of money. They probably are. So yes, that was my. Uh, Went to the Sinai. Um, How long were you there? We were there for six months. So now one of the things that percolated up in my active duty time frame was I always had questions like, why are we doing this? That doesn't make sense. Basic, I, basic didn't get that out of you? I, You're not supposed I, to be asking questions. Yeah, I was a guy that was <laughs> full of questions. Um, just just always. Who, just, are you, who are you asking? I would ask my NCO. I would, never would communicate with like my lieutenant. Like, but it was all my, all, you know, because your NCOs get like way too close to you. They're like way too personal, so you don't feel too bad. Like, sure, you felt sh- comfortable, yeah, challenging them and asking them questions and saying this is stupid and just. Um, so I, we we went to the Sinai. Uh, we were there six months. Um. I volunteered to be the so you're out on an OP with a squad. So I volunteered to be my squad's cook. So I learned how to. I went to cook school. I learned how to cook. Um, uh, we were out on. The, so you, you rotate out in the OP for 21 days, and then you go back to South Camp and have some rest and relaxation, and you go back out on your OP. You were cooking at the OP. I was cooking at the OP. So that's all I basically did, and I pulled some rotations of guard duty because we only had a squad there, and. Um, uh, we would always have these VIPs that would come in, and so then when VIPs come, you have to clean up the clean up your outpost. And my squad leader was like, "Hey, uh, Zoller, get your stuff together. You got to get ready for the inspection." I was like, "Man, I'm cooking. I, we're gonna do what we always do. You're gonna put me in the tower. They're never gonna." And he told me that's not what we're gonna do. And I was like, "I'm not staying in the inspection." And so he said, "Just go back in there and cook." The next day, when uh, the LT showed up on the helicopter, they flew me back to South Camp, gave me Article Fifteen, and reduced me. What? Yeah, I mean, it was like I mean, I'm not saying like I was belligerent about it. Like, look, I'm cooking. So you, so you earned it. Yeah, oh, I earned it. So I went back to South Camp. I spent a month doing extra duty, working in the chow hall, picking up trash, and I got reduced to PFC. Oof, oof. And then when my, um. When that was over with, they sent me to a new squad. I wasn't even allowed back in my other squad. Wow. And so I got to that squad, and, like, my first day back on the OP, I fell asleep on guard duty. <laughs> I fell asleep on guard duty. How old are you, like 20 at this point? I'm I'm 18 still. Oh, wow, okay. Um, That's right, because you signed up. I wake like, up yeah. to the honking of a horn. Now, we're in the desert. Nothing can sneak up on you. There's, you can hear that. You're on the gate. There's somebody in the tower. I wake up, there's a busload of lieutenants sitting at the gate. My platoon leader is on the bus, so that re- that results in some more extra duty stuff. So I was, yeah, that was not the best deployment. Not the best deployment, <laughs> um, you know. I just, but, but that's where I learned, like, um, people in charge sometimes, they don't actually know what's going on. Mm. They're 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 bullshitting you versus just just tell me you don't right. know what's going on and just go with the flow versus, treat me like an adult we're all right human. you know yeah. just um two years of active duty i spent my last month of active duty on extra duty for <laughs> for uh i think uh like i 
I turn in all my equipment like five months before ETS or something. So they had a, like an alert one day. I didn't have any equipment. So I spent like my last, I mean, literally my last day on active duty the night before Extra I was, duty. I was um, stripping and buffing the, um, <laughs> the floor, the floors to the first sergeant commander's office. And that's just how my, not, not uh, you didn't win any, uh, great awards yeah no one was no one was begging me to extend in the unit <laughs> <laughs> but you were liked by your squad mates right uh yeah i mean i was a you know i could i worked i could do stuff i just was gonna ask a bunch of questions yeah. i was um not everybody likes those questions yeah especially when in the back of your mind either you don't know the answers or you know that i'm Picking at a scab of truth versus just telling me, yeah. So, everybody, a lot of people have frail egos and don't like uh, picking at the scab. All right, so you, you, you get out and you're what headed back to Richmond? Headed back to Richmond. Um, while on active duty, I got accepted to VCU. Okay. Um, I have been accumulating money in my college fund. That was part of the part of the um, the deal. So I think I got out and. October and so I was able to start school um, January of 2017. So I came back home. 2017 or I'm sorry, 1987. 1987. Yeah, you, stayed with you, my mom. You skipped ahead yeah, thirty well, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to make it through the next thirty years, we like three hours. <laughs> I was gonna say we're, we're getting old, right? James. Yeah, stayed with my mom. Started school. Um, uh. You worked at Tolheimer's, didn't you, at some point? At that point, I was washing cars on Malothian Turnpike when I first got home. Okay. And then got into school, um, uh, decided that the great career options would be to get your high school girlfriend pregnant. Oh, okay. That was a, a great... <laughs> Did y'all stay together while you were in the Army? No. <laughs> <laughs> we reconnected when I came back home. So, um, yeah. And uh, that's that's James. How old is James now? James is 34 now. Okay. All right. Right on. So, got into school, started working. Uh, when I first got into VCU, I worked at a, um, a parked cars at this place downtown Richmond called Jim's Parking because it had a flexible schedule and it seemed like decent pay. It was really flexible. And it wasn't just like the hours. They also did like, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, man, I can't think of it. You come to a party, you pull up with your car. Uh, valet. Valet parking. Yeah, yeah. So they always had events where I could make extra money doing valet parking. And kind of come and go as you please, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, or you had to commit to a couple hours. To oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, at some point, I uh, started selling mattresses. Okay. Um, I got into the sales world. I was like, oh, selling I can't even remember the name of the mattress place, but I was selling mattresses to earn my key. Why are there so many mattress places around? Um, because it's like um, nobody, you, you can't comparative shop them, right? <laughs> so yeah. you can't, like, if you go to this place, they got this mattress with this pillow top and this name. You can't compare them. So anybody can put together a mattress and, you know. What do you mean you don't want to spend $900? You spend one-third of your life sleeping on this mattress. You spend more on your car radio than you do on the mattress you sleep on. You sleep is one of the most important things right. you do every day. So so you're pretty good at it. Not really. I made a living. Um, it was better than parking cars. <laughs> um, 
I like the challenge of trying to sell stuff to people. Sure. It's not easy. Yeah. yeah. So it was pretty interesting. You were at Tallheimer's at one point, though. Uh, no, Jay Z Penny's. Oh, I, I don't know why I thought Tallheimer's. Right. And, and at Azalea Mall. Uh no no South uh Cloverleaf Mall. Why did I think you were Azalea? Mm-hmm. And I was in the guard at the time when I joined. I came when I got off active duty. I I uh they convinced me that I could get paid fifty fifty extra dollars a month by being in the guard. And I was like, oh, give me that like, fifty bucks, fifty extra bucks for a drill so, weekend. Right. So uh, my unit was in Hopewell. Yeah, which company was that? It was Charlie Company, one eighty third. And yeah. so um I got there and I was like. So you didn't have a break. You went back to duty straight in the right, straight into the guard. guard. And I got to my unit, and I was like, "These guys are like, <laughs> what is this place? These guys are like clueless. They don't know what's going on." It's um, it was pretty interesting. But I had a, I had an NCO in the mortar section. He was a Vietnam vet, and he was pretty. He was older, and his name was Staff Sergeant Lee. And what I loved about Staff Sergeant Lee is on Monday before drill. Staff Sergeant Lee would start calling my house and leaving messages. And when I was living with my mom, by Thursday, my mom was begging me, please call Lee back so he stops calling the house. Like, he just, at drill. Was he calling everybody like that or just you? Just our section. So our okay, mortar section is yeah. pretty small. There's only got like eight or nine people in it, but that's how he was. Like, calling you to you. Admitted, you knew you had drill, <laughs> or told like if you were a college student, like sometimes I had problems. I tell him what my problem was. He's like, okay, I got you, and he would tell me what to do. And at drill, he was just maniacal about training. Like that's great. Like I, like, but at the time, like I didn't know it. Like on active duty, a mortarman, you can train anywhere. You're always training, is and in the guard, like it didn't make a difference what the company was doing. Like certainly everybody else is inside. It's hot. Why are we out here? Shut up, Zolar, and just gun. It's raining. Why are we out here? Shut up, Zolar. Just he called you Zolar. He called me Zolar just because he knew it agitated me. Um, <laughs> we're missing three people. Why do we have to take all the equipment? Because that's what you do. You don't leave stuff. Like he was just like I, I love Sergeant Lee. Right. I mean, so that's and so he was just always forcing you to didn't make the difference what was going he was forcing you to train we're missing people then you carry there i mean it was just and then as i you know became like a lieutenant or or i would go places and people i like i run in these mortarmen they'd be lost they didn't know how to do stuff like how do you not know how to and in my mind they don't know how to do it because they didn't have sergeant lee like sergeant lee didn't care if there was supposed to be three people on the gun if i was the only person that drill i did all three jobs Mm. you set it up you carry all the stuff and so as a future leader, like the way he trained me, I was like, it, that's how you're supposed to do it. Like you can, cause it works. It works. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, in the guard going to VCU business, uh, let's see business. Got an ROTC. Okay. It seemed like a cool way to get some easy credits. I mean, I already knew. And you still liked it. I liked it. Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, what what I tell people is I have a um, most of my life I've had a mistress and it's been the army and sometimes she didn't treat me well but I kept going back to her right so I was I hated the army but man, I need these there's two, something about right it. I need these two credit hours for some map reading it's just way too easy <laughs> to go hang out with these other military people and get this map reading stuff because you already knew how to do because I already knew how to do it it right. just was um and once I became a cadet. 
I almost got run out of the guard because my commander. So, you know, before I became a deck, at some point I got promoted to NCO. So I was running stuff. And then like one day I came in and it wasn't Sergeant Zoller, it was Cadet Zoller. What you need to do is go to 7-Eleven and get me this kind of creamer. And my first thought was like, who are you talking? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I was literally AWOL from drill sometimes because I didn't want to deal with this guy. Oh, wow. Almost, I mean, I almost got out of the guard. Because you were a cadet. Because I was a cadet and it's the way he treated me and... Um, you couldn't be both a cadet and an E5 and E5 on the weekends kind of thing? Nope. Huh. Um, uh, you know, I, I thought I could get an ROTC scholarship. Look at me. Come on. You, sure. Like other people got the scholarships. And once again, I thought, here's my mistress doing me wrong. And, <laughs> and so to punish my mistress, instead of going on active duty as a lieutenant, I said, "Hey, I'm going. I'm getting a. I'm getting a, a reserve forces duty commission. Then army. You can't give me a scholarship. I'm gonna go in the guard. Then that's how I ended up in the guard. So had you graduated by then? No, but as you start now, as you started getting toward commissioning, you start saying, "What do you want to act? You want to go active duty? Do you want to?" And I was like, "I don't go active duty the way you guys have." And you weren't beholden to anything because you they didn't pay. I didn't pay for anything. So yeah. you know, like at your camps, like. I don't remember, like, you know, at camp, I got, like, the highest thing. I got, like, a five. I was the honor graduate for camp. I mean, I was a guaranteed active duty guy. I was like, nah, you guys didn't really. So. Did you go to Bragg for that? I went to Bragg. Yeah. Camp All-American. Yeah, that's where I, I enjoyed my summer. Yeah. Um, at that point in time, I had decided that I was going to become a millionaire working in the retail world. Okay. That's how I was going to survive. And so before I graduated, I started working for J.C. Penney's at Cloverleaf Mall. I was going to make lots of money. That's, a, that's where it started. That's where it started. And I was a <laughs> Retail lieutenant. J.C. Penney. Lieutenant, I, so I got commissioned. I was a lieutenant in the same. So wait a minute. You got commissioned out of ROTC. I got commissioned out of ROTC. But it was an Army National Guard commission? Yeah, they Reserve Forces Commission. They, I, so I had a contract. They couldn't select me for active duty. Wow. Okay. So I got commissioned as a lieutenant in the same unit that I was a specialist, a sergeant, and a cadet in. Charlie yeah. Company. Charlie Company. All the things you shouldn't do, that's what I... <laughs> that's, and to be quite honest... Did you have a choice about the unit? I probably could have asked for some other unit, but it's just like, hey, I like this place. I know these guys. Why Why make it hard on yourself? It's, it's easier in some ways and harder in others. Yeah, so as I learned. Um, worked for JCPenney's. Was in the guard. Worked for JCPenney's for five years. Retail the whole time. Retail the whole time. It was horrible. And so uh, when you got out of retail, is that when you went active guard reserve? Right. So I left um, in 1995. It's so important along the way I got divorced. In 1995, I got remarried. And I quit working for J.C. Penney's to take a temporary technician job working for the 183rd Battalion headquarters. So title, our, title 32. Title te- 32 technician. Gig. Okay. I just couldn't take one more. So you went, you went back to your mistress full time. Yes, yes. She was calling me. I came running back. Wait, so that's ninety five, and you just retired. Yes. So total years in total years thirty six years eleven months and twenty nine days. And how much of that was active? Twenty seven years, four month, and twenty six days. That's a that's a heck of a mistress there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like 
you and I were in the guard uh, same time. I was never AGR, uh, but I, you and I bumped into each other a few times, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you and I both said, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to last much longer. I'm, yeah. I'm probably getting out." Because I was always in trouble. I was always talking back. So, <laughs> right, ask me some questions so I stop blabbering. No, no, you're good. Uh, so you got in trouble, but you ended up ironically the kid you were on active duty as an enlisted guy ends up being a, a flag officer. You ended up being a, a general. Yeah, but I think some of it has to do with, um, even I mean, even as a, even as an officer, one of the things that I will tell people is, man, like if I work for you, like when you when you were thinking in the guard, when you were thinking about, I gotta go see James, and if I tell James to do something, I better be prepared to tell him why be prepared for him to ask really hard questions but leaders should be telling you that stuff naturally right and so for me it just prepared me and so uh when i got to my unit in the guard there was a readiness nco sergeant first class cliff white and he retired as a sergeant major and what he will tell people is the only difference about james Zoller today as the general than the specialist is he changed rank (laughs) <laughs> he still will ask questions. He will, st- and, and some of this just happened. You had matured along the way too. Maturity, but there's some empathy of um, what I tell people is when they when they're getting ready to join the guard and they ask me what's about. I ask them a question. You ever been part of a Boy Scout troop? You ever tried to plan something at church? That's about how organized. <laughs> if you can have that expectation, and if you value soldiers' time, and you just admit. We're going to waste some of your time. It's not going to be super organized, but there's some great camaraderie that comes from it. There's, hey, on occasion, we make mistakes. And if you just own up to your soldiers and say, yeah, I think I messed that up. We shouldn't have done this. Or they appreciate it. They appreciate it. They accept it. Like, you don't try to hide it from them. Like, oh, no, that was the greatest decision ever. And then then they're on the team. Right. Yeah. But you also, I mean, for my leadership style, I like... Sometimes we have this habit of, hey, just do what I tell you to do, right? I like people to be able to say, hey, sir, wait, let's talk about that for a second. You want to be challenged. Right, hey, because, you know, I'm not super smart. Maybe that thing I decided ain't such a good idea. There may be an E4 <laughs> in your unit that is the expert at whatever, whatever y'all right. are working on. Or he's better at problem solving right. or whatever. And if you can come up with a relationship that, hey, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say, you have to be willing to take my response. And sometimes we ain't got no time for that shit. Right. Sometimes. Sure. <laughs> Unless you just think like, hey, we're getting ready to get some people killed, sir. We ain't doing that. And then you have some... Um, but that's not, um, trying to figure out how do you, um, you know, how do you manage that? And so basically what I tell people is uh, as I, as I started becoming more mature, if it was something that I disagree with my boss, it was just too easy for me. I did it three times. Like if my boss told me to do something, I'd agree with him. I kind of talked to him about it the first time. And then he basically said, Hey, this is what we're doing. Go away. I go back and I rethink my game. And then I would come back to him later on. Right. And then, you know, sometimes they say, James, didn't I already tell you, you know, about? and then I, you know, when you go back the third time, like, you know, you better have your points together. You better have. Um, and I and I think you got to come strong. Right. Yeah. And I think probably, you know, once or twice in my career, I have told my boss, yeah, we've talked about this three times and I ain't feeling what you got to say. I want to talk to the yo boss. Where do you get those guts from? I don't I mean. I couldn't fight him. <laughs> yeah, I, but to say that you weren't going to do something like an order is an order, right? I know, but like it's 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 not that it's not an order. It's 
Um, is it the best thing for the organization? Is it, I mean, like I said, in, in 36 years, I probably only have told my boss two or three times I wanted to see his boss um, because I thought what they were saying was negligent or what, it just wasn't good for the organization. And when I when I tell my subordinates, hey, that's what you should do to me. Yeah. And they're like, well, not every time, not every time, the time. But, but, but and they would say, why? I was like, because when you come to me that third time, I'm going to stop for a second. I'm like, let me roll through my Rolodex. What have I said do? Am I prepared for this dude to go to my boss? Am I am I that resolute in what I have thought about? And if I am, I, and, I, and I would tell my subordinates this, I actually don't feel bad if you're that passionate about it, because I will make the appointment for you to go see my yeah. boss, because whatever it is I've decided, it better be pretty good decision. Because my boss is like, James, why do you have your sub one of your subordinates felt so horrible about what you decided? They want to come see me. Say, sir, that's why we have a chain of command. That's why. We yeah, that's right. So. I don't know. All right, so you started out infantry. Started out infantry. Um, you were infantry as a lieutenant, too. Infantry as a lieutenant. I always, I tell people my first love in the military will always be the infantry. I always loved being an infantry officer. Yeah. At some point. I don't think there's a better gig. The infantry divorced me. They said, we don't have a unit for you anymore. Is this around senior first lieutenant, junior captain? Uh, this is when I was a junior captain. The second brigade, they said, we don't need the second brigade. You're going away, and they said, uh, James, you got to go become a, you got to go to the engineer battalion. Because they went away in uh, 96. Yeah, that's right. And I had to go to the engineer battalion that didn't want me. They said. Because you and I went down to Polk together in 94, right? Was that 94? I think it was yeah. 94. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then right after that, we deactivated the, right. the brigade. And we knew the flag was coming down. Yes, but they didn't really want to turn it off. And for me, that was like, a that was a, um. A great experience being the support platoon leader at Polk. I got it. Matter of fact, I got it. Um, I didn't even know he kept up with me. I don't know if you remember Trip Bowles. Oh yeah, he was the Alpha Company. He commander. was the Alpha Company commander. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a oh whatever now. Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a major general. When yeah. I got promoted, like he sent me a note. Like I didn't even know he was still around. He's like, oh yeah, I've been keeping my eye on you and da da da. And you know, I posted something on LinkedIn about my retirement, and he was he reflected back to when I was the support platoon leader at JRTC and um like once again I just thought it was it was like combat it was disorganized you, but it was that, a fantastic that, experience it didn't change the fact that so what it was disorganized people got to eat <laughs> they need some ammo and they're counting on you to find it get it to them you were running around and the whole time right I was like I mean I think there were like I learned how to count on my soldiers more because you had like, to. like, like, dude, like I got to go to sleep. Do you know how to get, you know, all the things, Oh, you can't sleep in your vehicles on the convoy. Do you know how to get us back to where we're supposed to go? Yeah. Everybody else is following you. I'm going to sleep. Don't get, you know, and it was a really, um, for me as a junior, I, so I was a senior first Lieutenant then, and I didn't want that job. Like I'm an infantry guy. I yeah. want to be the scout platoon leader or the mortar platoon leader. No, James, you're going to be the support platoon leader. I don't even know how to drive a Humvee. Like, <laughs> um, it was like an eye opening thing that, Hey, the people in charge sometimes won't admit they don't know what the hell's going on. Right. People aren't where they're supposed to be. And it doesn't change the fact that you still got to do what you got to do. 
And so when the brigade went away, um, they sent me to the engineer battalion. The 276. That, that did not want me. They actively politic not the because get you, me. Because you weren't an engineer. As I wasn't an engineer, and they just wanted an engineer guy. So they made me become the intel officer. Oh. <laughs> Those are not uh, two great back-to-back jobs. Yeah, so when I think... Um, 1996 or 1997, I packed up um, my wife and two kids, and we went to um, Fort Huachuca for six months so I could learn how to be an intel officer. I didn't know that about you either. It was actually a cool trip. Um, How long were you there? Six months. Mm. That's a long time. The middle of of Arizona, right? Middle of nowhere. Yeah. um, uh, Sierra Vista. I mean, we we actually had a good time. It was... um, I learned, I mean, I learned a lot. It helped me later in my career to understand what the S2 really. And you, you were AGR at the time? I was not. I was still a technician then. Okay. All right. But so you were doing a different job during the week, but, and you were in the 276 yep, yep. So I was on like the weekends. Either the admin or training officer Monday through Friday. Right, and so, so you hit, you did MI. Did MI. When did you become an engineer? I became an engineer when Bill Schneck took over the battalion and said, what is your future career? Like, what are you going to do? I yeah, was it like, wasn't an MI brigade. Anyway. Right. I was like, I don't know. He's like, you got to become an engineer. Go down to Charlie Company and become the commander down there. I was like, okay. Charlie at uh, West Point? At West Point. Yeah, yep. yeah. Right. And it was cool because I knew all the combat stuff. I could write an op order. I could do troop leading procedures. And the only thing that um, saved me, because, I mean, we had equipment. We had to do construction stuff. I didn't know anything about horizontal construction I, I mean nothing maintenance right none of that stuff. all that equipment Ugh. and so what saved me was and so i'm a tyrant none of my platoon leaders lasted i, I think over my three years as a company commander none of my platoon leaders lasted i had one lieutenant that lasted my entire time his name was john gray i see john, john's got a son in west point right now i talk to him all the time he was a platoon leader. He was the EXO, and John was a PE engineer. John actually knew how to build stuff. And so when we had a project, he's a good right hand man. Hey, John, man. what do you need? Just tell me what you need. <laughs> I will get that stuff to you. Um, when it came to engineering stuff, I had fired two first sergeants. My battalion commander said, hey, I got another guy for you, and it was Tom Yancey. Mm. And the story I tell about Tom Yancey, when I first met him, we were in our office, in our little conference room, and I was telling him how it's going to be. I'm going to do this. I'm going to email you, and I'm going to call you, and you're going to respond, and da 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 and, and I'm going to send you these emails. And Tom Yancey, you know Tom. Tom's oh, yeah. six foot three, kind of slow, southern, drawled. Tom looked over in the corner at one of these um, metal trash cans and pointed at it. He said, oh, sir, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And that's my inbox right there. I mean, I stood there thinking. I think he just said, just throw all my emails in the trash can. I think that's what he said. And Tom and I were, because Tom had gravitas. Like if You, you we, wanted him on your team. Like, if we showed up somewhere and some people didn't know how to pound a picket, Tom could show them. This is how an engineer yeah. puts in Constantino wire. Somebody didn't know how to operate the C, the bulldozer, the 916, the first sergeant. All I had to do was get everybody to the right place and then he <laughs> with was some supplies, over. and Tom could do everything else. I mean, it was 
Yeah, I was with him at Brigade. Right. Yeah, Tom was my... I, I tell people, whenever I got assigned someplace, if there was a way for me to get Tom Yancey there, I always did because it didn't make a difference if what I needed was somebody to make coffee and serve it or if I needed somebody to go tell a bunch of colonels to shut up and stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Tom had no problem. Tom had no problem and can figure out how to, you know, make it go down smooth for everybody. Yeah. Nobody left the meeting with Tom with a bad taste in their he, mouth. He was telling people that y'all weren't going to do something and it, they weren't going to like it, but they ended up liking it right. anyway. And it he was, was like a great, um, for me, he was like this great, he was like this room thermometer. Like I could look at Tom and tell, I could look at the way he was, his body language, and I could, I could probably, I should probably just shut up and sit down now. Or like, <laughs> nobody, nobody understands what you're saying. Right. Or um, he had so. a very strong nonverbal game, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And then he was the sergeant when we, when the battalion, as I skip ahead, when we deployed to Iraq, he was the battalion sergeant major, and I was the XO, and so we spent a lot of time. What year was that? Two thousand three. We spent a lot of time jumping in. Oh, ditches. y'all were up, y'all were up in uh, Mosul. North, Mosul, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, where am I supposed to be at now? What are we talking about? No, we talk about, let's talk about your two deployments. So you went to Iraq in 03. It was a very uh, immature theater at the time, right? Because we didn't go in until March of 03. Right. So I left the battalion in like 2001 to go to recruiting for three years. Learned a lot of stuff about the Army National Guard and recruiting. I bet you did. Um, You know, I was the author of some hated things like, Wednesday night phone calls or whatever. Yeah, I, did. I didn't like you back then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that it was, was you, but I didn't. That like was you. some. Uh, and then I got sent to the battalion in 2003, or you know, I got a chance to get back into the field. I was assigned as the uh, executive officer to 276 in October 2003, and then in November 2003, we got alerted for mobilization. Yeah, and just trying to get a full battalion. So that was November. I think we had to mobilize to Fort Dix the day after Thanksgiving. So I had about a month to get all our stuff As the XO. Up, and it's a lot of stuff filled, in that unit. Right. And um, along the way, we had, right before I came back to the battalion, the commander changed. Tom Morgan left. And we got a new guy. I don't remember what his name was. When we started doing the SRPs, they said he couldn't deploy with the unit. Because they had put him in command, but he hadn't been an engineer since he was a lieutenant. Yeah, you probably don't want him. Right. The so they brought back yeah. Tom Morgan, who I thought, you know, he was the XO when I was a company commander. So, I mean, I thought the world of him, I thought it'd be a great thing. So got up to Fort Dix and we got into Mosul. We replaced the unit there. And it was just um, in northern Iraq at the t- when we got there, before we got there, the 101st ran northern Iraq. And... The Army decided to um, put an economy of force organization. Instead of having a division there, they had just kind of brought online and filled it the striker brigades. So a, an, a striker brigade replaced a division. Mm. And so we supported this. Um, oh, man. The first brigade combat team out of Fort Lewis, second ID. And we were like, you know the Gerber tool of <laughs> yeah. whatever they needed from building. You had a lot of toys and you could build a lot of stuff. Yeah. Build stuff. If they needed us to play infantry guard bridges, it was just constant, constant, nonstop 
trying to, you know, and from one of the things I truly learned was active duty units have this opinion of what the guard is and will try to leverage that over you. And so I would have to go to meetings and it's we're like, slower, we're dumber, like, or whatever. Yeah. Guys, I'm not sure like what you're talking about. Like, but we went to the same school. We're not doing that. And they're like, what are you guys talking about? So I was, you know, I was the hammer for the organization when we weren't going, you know, I'd have to, you know, go tell other battalion XOs, like, I don't know what you guys are smoking in here. And, or their, you know, their colonels would tell me, oh, that's what you're going to do. Mm, sir, I don't work for you. You're not doing that right. stuff. So um, we had some soldiers killed near the end of our deployment. We had the uh, um, dining facility. Yeah, awful. A couple kids from uh, Fredericksburg, the uh, engineer battalion there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very sad time when that happened um let's let's move on from that um well and how long were you over overseas for that deployment uh i don't know you know just under a year i think it's a long time yeah it's a really long time and then okay so fast forward your battalion commander now how many years have passed from your iraq deployment to you becoming battalion commander uh battalion uh, iraq deployment ended 2004 i became the commander in 2006 and then we deployed in 2009 Mm. You were that. commander for a while. Yeah, I would have been rotating out, but when they alerted us for the note, when they gave us the alert notification, like who doesn't want to like command in combat? Well, so, they weren't going to put a newbie in either, right? So I I stayed for another almost two years, really. So you did what five? Total? I did four. So that's a long time. Yeah, when it was when it was over, I could not wait. I bet <laughs> to leave. They couldn't wait for me to leave, but I did. I mean, I you know, man, the. The ultimate is commanding a battalion in combat. And yeah. um, so in 2009, I get my years are all mixed up. We went to Afghanistan to do route clearance. and Which is not a fun job. Yeah. So we took the battalion headquarters. And by that time, engineers had become modular. So I had a company from California, a company from That's Wisconsin, right. a company from Michigan, active duty company from Germany and then later a active duty company from Fort Riley. So you had four or five companies at any given time. Yeah. And yeah. we were spread out all over Afghanistan. Um, doing L- route clearance. Literally you, you take a company and give them to a brigade in whatever part of Afghanistan. Right. So we, we were GS. So I would, they would cover a brigade's area, but they still worked for me. And in some cases it was just a platoon and, that you were getting sliced up all over the place. Yeah, and so it was a constant fight. Was, you know, I'd have these conversations with the division commander about, James, do you think you should be DS or GS because the brigade commanders are complaining about how you service them? I was like, yeah, because they don't know anything about route clearance, and they would use my guys any way they wanted to. Right. And he's like, oh, but James, I was like, like, does anybody tell the aviation battalion commander how to do his, <laughs> how to do his job? Like, I, they, they, the infantry guys' perception of, how you do route clearance. So we didn't go there to do route clearance. We went there to fight a counter IED fight. Right. The counter IED fight is IEDs are killing 75% of all casualties in Afghanistan. If you would do something to the IED fighters, their, um, their logistics lines. Yeah. And that's not what the active duty guys want to do. They just wanted us to breach down the road all the time. And it just got into this thing. And, and they had their own ideas about, how you drive down the road. And so it was, a um, for me as a leader, it changed how I lead, how I led, because um, I, I rarely saw my company commanders. 
Um, I laid down. This is how we do business. I had some principles um, and they had to go out and, and follow them. I didn't, you know, on occasion, I, I, you know, I had some weaker commanders. I just positioned them different places. I had some strong NCOs. It, for me, it was a um, it was a great deployment. I mean, we did some we didn't do what we wanted to do. We didn't do a counter IED fight. We end up breaching around the battlefield a lot. Um, That's that work is nerve wracking. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, you're doing it every day. Just yeah, about. I mean, you know, there's no such thing as a three hour mission. There's, you know, is, you know, you're in your, you know, it's when you know you can only find 75 percent of the IEDs. That means the other 25 percent means you're getting blown up in your truck. Yeah. And that was just a constant nerve wracking thing of having. I don't know how many soldiers we had with purple hearts or and because the enemy knows what we are. You can tell our route clearance. Oh, platoon. my gosh. Yeah. So complex ambushes, firefights, just it was um, what we did. I mean, um, we did end up. I did have a um, one soldier killed. I mean, we had lots of soldiers wounded from stuff, but we did end up having one soldier killed. Um, It's fortunate. I mean, it's awful to lose any soldier, but. It's amazing it wasn't more than that. Came home, got assigned to to be the construction and facilities. Well, hold hold on, before, before, before we came, come, home. before okay. we came, come home, you you were blessed or graced with the best battalion XO. Oh yes, I'll be a, a, well, a man could ever have. Well, um, poor Brian. So uh, Brian, another he, he uh, Brian's started off his infantry with me yep. I, uh, when we were in the 183rd we had some interactions over mortars once I helped him out we did pre-command course I think you were I think you were in our pre-command course um maybe I don't remember um when I came home from Iraq I was the engineer brigade XO but before I went to Iraq I built my house a milestone right and the guy building my house says hey there's another National Guard the guy lives down there were the a bunch here. of us right right and so I go down there and there's Brian and so when I got assigned an engineer brigade, I was like, hey, I want Brian Coleman to go with me. We can carpool. And um, when I when I got command, the division told me I couldn't actually go take command. I had to do something for the division. And so my negotiation tactic was, well, then I want Brian to go watch my battalion at annual training for the week I can't be there. And so while the outgoing battalion commander and XO were at AT, Brian was there watching them and basically he was running the battalion so he became the xo and so he went to um he went to afghanistan i mean so he was my xo for the four years went to afghanistan with you, me you two are tight yeah i mean it was great to have your xo live 10 houses from you, you could have meetings drink beer <laughs> and um you know we were like bosom buddies fighting and crying and yelling and um i could see you two yelling yeah and so what, what i tell people is Brian was like the great XO for me because after I came into a room and set it on fire and got everybody riled up, Brian could come in with the fire extinguisher, <laughs> spray everybody and say, okay, let me tell you what that asshole really wants to do. <laughs> like that stuff he said, he doesn't want that. This is what he really wants. And it's this great kind of yin and yang yeah. thing that made it, um, it worked out really. That's really cool. Let's go way back to when you and I were both lieutenants. I got to, I got to put this story on the record. Okay. There, uh, we won't use his name. We'll call him Sam uh, Jorbs. Does that work for you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to tell a story? Or you want me to tell, <laughs> you tell it? <laughs> so uh, James and I were at Master Fitness Trainer, and we knew some of the guys there. It was at Fort Lee. Yeah. It's a two week course. It's just something to do. Uh, and I actually didn't have a job coming back from OBC, so I'm like, oh, another two weeks of Army pay, I'll take it. 
And so we had, it's like 60 people in the class. And I don't know whose idea it was. Was it yours? I, I don't remember. I think it might have been Heron's. Heron was a first sergeant at the time. Sammy. It, it ended up being a division CSM. I, I, by the way, I miss him. I, I, I love being around Sam Heron. But anyway, I, let's give Sam credit for coming up with the idea. Ranger school is 10 weeks. Pretty hard. It's Over time, it's been three or four phases. Um but it's in the field a lot. You're not eating a lot. You're not sleeping. You're in an austere environment basically the entire time. And it's it's tough stuff. Anybody who's ever been through it, you and I have not been through it, but every, we know a bunch of people who have. It's uh, it's not for everybody. It's not for right, the faint right. of heart. Well, you and uh, we're calling him Sam Jorbs. Right. We were lieutenants in the same company. You two were. Right. I was an engineer right. out of the uh, engineer battalion in Frankfurt. And I, I don't think... You and I knew each other from the 183rd, I think, before that, maybe? No, no, we hadn't. No, we didn't know each other. I think we met at MFT. Okay, yeah. Um, and Sam, Sam was either an engineer or an infantry, but we kind of gravitated each other. We were all, uh, I guess we were all in the division. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, we started this rumor that, that Ranger School was... Going to be correspondence. Correspondence. These yellow books you get in the mail. <laughs> and, it, and it took the place of eight weeks of Ranger School, and then you just had to do two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> at Ranger he School, it. He just he, kept... no, the whole time we were there, and he and, and he was so happy that he was going to be able to get in the Ranger tab by just doing two weeks, <laughs> and he was telling everybody the whole class. I, I think about a third of the class believed that that was actually true because he, he talked about it all the time. Yes, it just made us happy every time we heard him talking about it. I think we let him on the whole class too. I don't think I, it... I think we told him at the very end. Yeah, and he was so he was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> old, old old Sam Jorbs we're Sam calling him Jorbs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so all right you, okay you ended up what'd you do as an 06 um I was the construction and facilities management officer for the Virginia Guard responsible for all buildings and facilities and real estate and I have no I had no clue if I needed to build a deck I'd hire a contractor and Hope he knew what he was doing. But you had good people that knew what they were doing. I had good people, but the um, the operation had kind of become lackadaisical. I mean, it just, no one else knew what the section did, so there was no, um, but I mean, I was like, I didn't want the job. They said I was going to take the job. I got the job. Uh, I was there for about six months before we got a new adjutant general. General Long came in, and the story I tell is, uh, I, I took the job in January and September. My deputy called me and said, hey, where are you at? I was like, I'm going to Fort Lee for sick call. He's like, hey, uh, General Long wants to see you. He's on his way here to see you. I was like, oh, this can't be good. I drive to Fort Lee. I go in the conference room with my boss, the chief of staff and the two money people in the organization. General Long comes in. And the first thing he says, what time does the duty day start? I was like. Uh, 7 a.m. Sir, he's. Like, I just want you to know, I just followed you down the road. So, like, I didn't. <laughs> right, I was like, this is just this isn't going well. And he said, if you can't figure out how to do this job better, I love you, James, but I'm gonna have to fire you. Mm. Now, I tell people today, I, I was the best lieutenant colonel in the Virginia Army National Guard. I just led a, a four year battalion command, led a led a battalion in combat, yeah. all kind of accolades. And my boss just said he was going to fire me. I tell people, the very same van that I drove to your house in, mm. Honda Odyssey, 2008, license plate 800. I drove back to Hanover crying that night saying, "Wow, what am I going to 
do. Because that was your full-time job. That was my full-time job, and I knew I didn't know how to do it for real. <laughs> but you all, And you also had known the Army as an adult in retail for five years. Right. So um, somehow somebody, I also, late, like later in the week, I got notified, I got selected for war college. So now oh, I'm, man. I'm, I'm, and I mean, what I tell people is I got to this plateau where I thought it was the highest you could go. And I realized, ah, I think you got another gear, brother, if you want to, if you want to keep this job. And so I figured out how to do, um, he motivated you. Right. Motivated me to do more. Yeah. So, wow. All right. And then you were going to get out. Retires in 06, right? I was going to retire. Um, I had been the chief of staff. I was, you know, I mean, I literally, I, I mean, I reached retirement. I had retirement orders the day before my retirement. The adjutant general called me, said, hey, he had selected me to become brigadier general. Literally the last day. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, he, I think he called me on a on a Monday. I think I officially retired on Tuesday. It took him two months to undo all of my retirement oh, stuff. Oh, I bet. I bet. So the army loves its paperwork. Yes, yes. So, um, I you know I became the assistant adjutant general for strategic initiatives, responsible for innovation, continuous process improvement. You know, kind of like the third wheel on a bicycle. Kind of <laughs> all, all the things you envisioned when you were in junior ROTC. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All. Yeah. You know. So. Um, I mean, it was it was pretty cool to get to operate at that level to see what goes on at the National Guard Bureau at, you know. So, you know, it wasn't something I had ever aspired to or or. or yeah, you, you, you had never talked about being a general. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so. Um, I don't know, just when yeah. I heard you made general, I was very happy. Well, I mean, some of it was just like really weird, like. I couldn't go anywhere unless I had an aide with me. Um, <laughs> like like yeah. an assistant who has to care for right, you. Right, like, like, like you I, can't do it I on your might own. do something <laughs> wrong. Of course I'm going to do something wrong. This guy can't stop me. Or, um, But it, one of the things that I did find that was that was cool, like um, you find this when you're a colonel, like people will talk to you. Like when you're a general, like people re- will return your phone calls. Like I was like, this is pretty... It, it just took the star. This is pretty cool. Like, people will return my phone calls, and... They wanted to say they just talked to a general. All right, so, I mean, I was pretty... You know, you get general officer stationary. I, was, I mean, I was pretty liberal with it. Like, that's in anybody can, in, can, a note. You, you still have stationary. Yeah. Can you write me a note? And, yeah, and absolutely. Sign? And one of the things I... Ch- like, I was... As I was like, what's my signature block? And, like, you're forever... General Zoller, like yeah. that stationary, you can always use that stationary. And literally, I send people um, emails now. And if, That's really if cool. I want to respond, like I put Brigadier General Retired Zoller on it. And people, I try not to. I mean, I sent an email today where I like leaned into it and I put it because I need this guy to call me <laughs> back. Like, um, but. That's really, that's really cool, bit. All right. So, last two things before we close. Okay. Talk about your family. Oh, man. Couldn't have made it through a military career without um, my wife. My wife is like um, a, my battle buddy. Like I tell people, like she knew when I was getting promoted sometimes before I did. <laughs> Some of my bosses were afraid of her because like she would yell at them about like, um, and they were like, why is your wife talking to me? I was like, uh, because she's doing like family readiness group stuff and yeah. she don't work for me. Like I, so I was like, she would. And she's in charge of my house. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, just a great. Great partner to try to make it through the military with. Uh, just, um, 
you know, had had an eye for families and taking care of families. And it, for me, especially during the deployments, being able to tell me, hey, why did you leave me here with this? These guys and their wives don't have checking accounts and oh. tell tell Peter if he keeps spending all the money, I'm going to fly to Afghanistan and beat him <laughs> or something like so. That was just a great thing. To, and what it gave me is what I tell people is. My wife made me human to my soldiers' families. Like she could explain to them, he's really not that bad of a guy. He's an idiot, but and she could provide information to me. You know, four great kids: James Jr., who I tell people uh, early in my career, James Jr. went to more training meetings than some leaders. <laughs> some leaders did. I mean, he early in my career, he took the. I mean, when I was an ROTC, you're talking about a kid that would have to go to PT in the morning with me at six o'clock and stuff. Oh wow! So. Um, James works. I don't know. He works for some bank or something, doing trying to sell you credit card stuff. When okay. You, when you uh, he's got a job. It's he's good. got a job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the apple of my eye. My daughter Jasmine got married oh. two years ago. Okay. Great son-in-law, Josh. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to put any pressure on Jasmine, but maybe you got grandbabies coming at some point. Well, I told them live your life first. Get out there and travel. Save that stuff to the end. Because yeah, once it, the kids, it's, it's hard. It's uh. You can be old like us before you start traveling. Right. Again. So, uh, Jasmine um, lives up in DC now, um, working remotely for a job. Uh, Justin, my uh, UVA football walk-on, spent four years putting on his uniform, waiting for them to call his, uh, waiting for Bronco to call his number so he could run out there and earn some fame, and <laughs> he got to travel to a lot of places and. Uh, and he was on the team for four he, years. He was on the team for four years. Uh, last uh, last year, tore his Achilles, so oh. that was you know that was pretty devastating to spend a year rehabbing your Achilles. And so that's really young for an Achilles tear. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So now he Olympic weightlifting. I went to Detroit with him for that Olympic weightlifting. He applied to be on the Olympic bobsled team. They told him come up to New York and do that and then uh what led me to retirement was you know i got a 15 year old at home jacob the only person not excited about me retiring is jacob because because now you're around right i'm around i pick him up i take him to school i if he i check his homework i make him iron his clothes i you know he's like why like i can hear him talking to the other kids when they're home like (laughs) why is he here so was he here this i don't remember him being here this much so um that's cool. You've, you have a great family. Y'all have always been uh, tight. And then, you know, my, you know, I got my in-laws. I mean, so in my retirement speech, what I said is, how did I make it this far? I made it this far because I had this village of people that just helped me. They just let me. I just focused on this thing that I love to do, just being in charge and being in the military. All the peripheral things, there was someone else that took care of that and made it work or kind of whispered in my ear some of those things. And um, my wife only had one rule. Don't take a job where you come home and say you're going to be a geographic bachelor. Mm. Don't get a job where you can't drive home at night. Right. So, I, I mean, I worked at Fort Pickett off and on for 10 years. Every if I might work till midnight. I would still drive all the way back to Hanover. Yeah. I might only sleep for two hours and get up. But that was kind of the, the deal we made. But great, great family. Man, I don't know. No, your family's always been very supportive of uh, what you do. Do you have a uh, 
a gig that's paying you now post-retirement? I do. I work for, um, so, you know, the benefit of the guard, there was a, a lieutenant that has been in my units for most of his career, uh, named Dave Baver. Dave, I mean, I didn't even know Dave did this. Wherever I would get assigned, I would always try to have Dave come work more because he was pretty smart. Like I could say, here are the 50 things I want done and here's my strategy. And I would come back and Dave's like, okay, here's the two things you really want done. And come to find out he's been a, uh, he's been a consultant for most of his life working at strategy firms. And so he is a part owner director of this firm called Toffler Associates. Uh, Alvin Toffler started it. And he kept telling me, oh, you could come, you could come do this strategy stuff. I'm like, man, I don't know how to do that. And he convinced me. So I'm a 1099 part-time contractor okay. working for Toffler. I've been I've worked on uh, two different um, projects. It's really flexible on the time. Like I negotiate how many hours I want to work, and um, it's great because I don't go and do like the same thing for forever. So my first project I worked on machine learning and artificial intelligence, which project. the Army hadn't taught you anything, right? About. Um, and I'm the project lead. Like I'm the we call them engagement leaders, but I'm like the project manager. And now I'm working on a project for uh, CISA, the cyber, uh, cybersecurity infrastructure guys. It's also stuff you didn't, didn't do. know. Yeah. And like, I'm like, man, like, wow, I didn't know you needed to do this at the ball game when you went to it. And so, um, I get to do that kind of manage my hours, work from home and, you know, try to remember to cook dinner before everybody gets <laughs> So you're now the, 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 the chef. Yes, I'm the, well, I won't say, I'll say part-time chef. Okay. Because um, I forget to cook sometimes. Uh, <laughs> um, forget either uh, unintentionally or intentionally. Yeah, I run out yeah. and, you know, buy something from Kroger and I swear I cooked this. This is all my hard work. So. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, I'm in the mood to cook. Sometimes I'm not. I hear you. All right, last question. Okay. You're starting your own talk show. Start my own talk it show. Can, it, it can come on 1130, come on in the middle of the afternoon, whatever. Now let's go. Let's go. It comes on at night. Comes on at night. You can have three guests. I can have three guests: a male, a female, and a band, or a male, female, and a comedian. Who are they? They can be dead or alive. They can be for your entertainment. They can be for the world's contentment. It can make people happy. It can make them think. It's whatever you want it to be. But it's your, your first show, and so you want this to this show to get off. Uh, to a great start. Okay. I want this show to get off to a great start. So the first person I would have, just because I know he's going to draw an audience, I'd have Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, is, the comedian. Yeah, he's hilarious. And and very, very smart and right. amazingly thoughtful. You know, so I've been seeing all of the uproar with him. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, maybe, maybe he, but you know, he guys like he does pull a joke into it. He's at a comedian. I mean, he's a comedian. He's a so comedian. Dave Chappelle. Um... Dave Chappelle was immediate. You, you're really yeah, thinking yeah, about the, yeah. Are you thinking about the female or the band? Thinking about the female. Okay. Um, hmm. I gotta come back to that one. All right. Band. Band or or solo. Um. I'm thinking. I'm. This man. is the most thought you've given anything this entire conversation yeah man the band um i'm trying to think am i gonna go with the roots band or jay-z i'm gonna have to go with, with the roots band because i think you're good either it's, way. it's a band and so there's more guys i could engage with and talk with there you go are they your house band or are they just the band for the first night well i'd have to get them for the house band i'd have to steal them from uh fallon yeah fallon yeah. so but i mean 
they're like interactive. They're not just like the band. They're part of the. They, they, they have great senses of <laughs> right. humor. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that's. Um, so your first night's gonna be uh, funny and fun. Yeah. Um, female. I can't think of her name, but I have been looking at this um, female um, basketball player for the WNBA recently. That's like super tall. She's a mock. I don't know her name. Um, be interesting to have this. You know, she played at Baylor. That that super tall. I don't know if she played at Baylor. I know she's from like Australia or something. No, um, she's Australian. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, pretty badass. Like we'll, a, we'll get uh, my fine. my crack research. Okay, okay. Um, figure that out. Um, model DJ and kind of fierce on the court. Oh too. wait a minute, she's she's got several talents. Yeah, several. I mean her her her. Her primetime gig is basketball, but, you know, that allows her to branch out into some other things as in, you know, you know, you're six foot ten female. You can model some clothes and she's six um, ten. She's six ten. Yeah. Good grief. And she can play basketball. Clearly. Yes. Yes. Um, I think she's had a 50 point game. Mm. I haven't been following him. Do you watch NBA and WNBA? I don't really watch the WNBA, but I saw her on something, and so it made me go to YouTube on the TV and start chasing around some of her highlights and stuff. Um, Crack research staff is showing uh, the phone. That might be her, yeah. What's her name? Hold on, I got to put my... Damn it, where are my glasses? Does that, does, does that say she's from Australia? That looks... Uh... Cambage? Yeah. What's her first name? Liz. Liz Cambage? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard her be interviewed before? I haven't. Um, you know, like... She's got to have an interesting story to tell, though. Yeah, just um, how she got from Australia. Um, I mean, I mean, like, in the WNBA, like, dominant, like, to the point where, like, she can shoot from the outside. She can... She can do everything. I mean, she can... I mean, you know... You know, a six foot five person trying to guard her is, um, and I've seen some. Also, you know, I probably spent like four hours just binging on YouTube. Like, she's practicing against you know men in her workouts. Um, Troy McDaniel, Troy Troy McDaniel. I think he was like a VCU shooter. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've seen yeah. her play against this guy and other. I mean, she practices. She didn't. She wasn't practicing against females. She's practicing against guys, yeah. and you know. Making him feel bad. I mean, but but I was like, man, that's just. It was just something about her was just impressive to see. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to. She's doing a lot of things at a very high level. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, uh, what is your wife doing these days? We'll My wife that. is a um, chemical analyst for Afton, so she they're in the lubricant business. So she does, you know, analysis of what it takes to keep cars running, and uh, you know. Cars, turbines, would everything. You, would you consider her smarter than you? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, say your wife's name again. For, for oh, Shawnee, the, Shawnee L. Zoller. Yeah, yes. Uh, the scribe is taking notes for okay. us. Okay, cool. We yeah. should we should end talking about your wife being smarter than you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she is the. I mean. I just show up, you know, vacations. Oh, she has it all planned. <laughs> she plans it all out, you know. Um, I'm just the the chauffeur at the right time with the and, and, and you be, and you benefit wildly from not needing to plan. Yes, yeah, very cool. Well, hey, James, I appreciate you joining us. I appreciate your 36 plus almost 37 years of service 
really appreciate your uh, service overseas. It's uh, not for everybody, and not everybody can do it as well as you did. So thanks for your service, and thanks for joining. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com. Thank you.